Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I don't know what's more exciting, the thought of the fact that when we've been face to face with the Father, for depending on your, on your ancestry in Christ, 10,000 or 8,000 years, um, but there's still more to come more than we've already experienced. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on the subject of who are we trying to impress, man or God. And I spoke on that out of Paul's comments in Galatians 1, because it is impossible to do both. The more our actions and our motivations are based on wanting to please God, the less that the world understands us. And I intended this week to go on and speak out of Galatians chapter 2 on the subject of there must be more to life. But as the week's gone by, I felt that for the next few times that I preach, that I should speak on a subject that's increasingly been on my heart over the summer, and which has been helped by a number of discussions with other people, and people challenging me on similar subjects. The challenge really focuses on how, as the body of Christ, we relate to each other and we relate to our leaders and to other churches around us. And that might lead you to ask a question, do we have a problem in that area? And I think my answer, generally, is no. I'm pleased that so far we've seen a church built that isn't dominated by gossip or any of the similar issues. In fact, it's rare that we have to address anything of that kind. And so, my reason for raising these subjects is not to deal with problems. In fact, I think we do well in these areas, particularly when we compare the life in the church with the prevailing culture in the world around us, where... Gossip magazines are everyday reading, where slander is commonplace, and where people feel they have a right to say whatever they please about other people and expect there to be no consequences. So why talk about it? Well, because talking about it now will let us set the culture within our church that we believe is godly and right. It allows us to promote this without anyone feeling we're getting at them. It stops people feeling the need to be defensive. But also, because it's an area in which we're not doing badly, I think we could push further. So what are the subjects? Well... They're linked together, and I think as I go through them, you will find that they overlap a little. The three subjects that have been on my heart are affirmation, 
honour and speaking the truth in love. But as we look at these things, I don't want them to be matters of interest. Because I believe we need to look at them as the same way as we do when we preach grace. We need to preach it and then live it out, to exercise it. It's no good preaching grace and then exercising legalism. We need to put these things into practice. Not just preach one thing and do the opposite. So let's embrace these truths. Let's God, let God's Holy Spirit set them in our hearts. Because I think as we do that, if we get this right, it will set us apart from the world in a positive and a refreshing way. Surveys. Have you noticed the world loves surveys? So much of our advertising is based on the 9 cats out of 10 prefer model. Have you noticed that? You see it in magazines, you see it on the TV. Well recently I've been carrying out a survey of my own. And it's based on people's understanding of a verse of scripture that we often quote. Now if I've already asked you this question, just keep quiet for a moment, because I don't want you skewing the results. But here's the question. When we talk about speaking the truth in love, what does it make you think? Anyone got an answer? Natalie. Tell them the way it is, unfortunately. For me. Tell them the way it is, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Okay. Bill Gates was asked to do the speech at his high school. And he's credited with giving his fellow students the following 11 rules for life. He talked about how the feel-good, politically correct teaching was actually setting his generation apart from reality and getting them ready for failure. And these were his 11 rules. One, life is not fair. Get used to it. Two, the world won't care about your self-esteem. The world would expect you to accomplish something before you feel good about yourself. Three, you will not make 40000 a year straight out of college. You've got to earn it. Four, if you think your teacher is tough, wait till you get a boss. <laughs> Five, stacking shelves is not beneath your dignity. Your parents had a different word for stacking shelves. They called it opportunity. Six, if you mess up, it is not your parents' fault, so don't whine about your mistakes. Learn from them. Seven, before you were born, your parents weren't as boring as they are now. They got that way from paying your bills, cleaning your clothes, listening to you talk about how cool you are. So before you go and save a rainforest from the parasites of your parents' generation, try cleaning your bedroom. <laughs> They're good, aren't they? Eight. Your school may have done away with winners and losers, but life has not. 
in some schools they have abolished failing grades. That doesn't bear the slightest resemblance to anything in real life. Nine, life is not divided into terms. You don't get summers off, and very few employers are interested in helping you find yourself. Do that in your own time. <laughs> Ten, television bears no resemblance to real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to their jobs. <laughs> Eleven. Eleven. Be nice to nerds. The chances are you'll end up working for one. <laughs> In fact, that list wasn't written by Bill Gates. It was written by the author Charles Sykes in his book Dumbing Down Our Kids. But the sentiment is great, isn't it? Anyway, getting back to the survey, okay? The results of my survey of this. Nine out of ten cats put a negative slant on that verse. When you start to talk to them about speaking the truth in love, whether the particular cat you're talking to is a church leader, a member of a church, or just someone random, it doesn't matter how long they've been in the faith, they say something like this. If you've got something to say to someone, even if it's difficult, try to say it in a loving, compassionate way that does not remove the dignity of the person you're talking to. Is that fair? In management speak, say it with flowers. Now, there's two problems with that interpretation of this verse. Firstly, when someone starts with flowers, we anticipate the but that is coming. When we say, hey, I thought your contribution this morning was really helpful. People don't hear that because they're tense waiting for the but. And there's a second problem. And the second problem is that isn't what the scripture's about at all. Now you can choose whichever reason for listening that you like. I actually prefer the one that is not what in scripture is encouraging us to do. Now don't get me wrong, I still believe that if there are difficult things that need to be discussed, we shouldn't shrink away from that. Nor do I think we should hurt people in the way we handle it. And in a few minutes, we're going to look at what that passage is really about. But first of all, I want to look at a couple of other key verses to help us understand it. So just for a moment, park the thought about 9 out of 10 cats. We'll come back to that later. John 14, starting at verse 5. Thomas said to him... <coughs> Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. 
And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now keep a finger in there if you've looked it up and turn to 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 where it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought captive Sorry, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now, I know I'm now going to ask something very difficult. Get into degree level now. Okay, keep a second finger in there and go forward a page or two to 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I am afraid... That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Where are we going? Well, I hope it will become clear shortly. And if you don't believe me, then you can pray that it will. Okay? The problem is, a lot of us, particularly if we've been Christians for a while, have so many bits of the Bible floating around in our heads. Now, why is that a problem? It's a problem because they become disjointed from where they belong in the book. They come out of context and they start to take on a life and a meaning of their own. We need to be a people of the word, to use it wisely, to apply it correctly and to let God speak to us through it. We need to get more into the book. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And do you know what? That's true. That is true. Jesus is the way, he is the truth and he is the life. And no one gets to heaven except through him. It's just like it is in that song we sing. We want to see Jesus lifted high for he is the way to heaven. Do you remember that one? Now, I'm not going to sing it, and I'm sure some of you will be pleased about that. We want to see Jesus lifted high. He is the way to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through him. In fact, I can't find any reference in the New Testament that says Jesus is the way to heaven. I've written here and I'm sadly disappointed. Pause while the lights come on in people's mind and Eve scurries to her Bible. And she hasn't. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that he hasn't come to give us eternal life. But this verse 
does not say he is the way to heaven. It says he is the way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when you read through John's Gospel, the impression you get is that Jesus' mission on earth is to reveal the Father. In that passage, Philip's eager. He says, show us the Father. Come on, who is he? We want to see him. We want to see God. And Jesus replies, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. What he's saying is that he is identical to the Father. There is no difference, no distortion, no alteration. What Jesus was doing, what he was saying, and what he was demonstrating reflected exactly what his father felt about the situation. And that was part of the trouble. Because Jesus said he was God. But he didn't do what the religious people of the time expected God to do. They expected adulterers to be stoned. And yet Jesus forgave them and welcomed them in. Jesus was on a mission to introduce us to the Father. And one of the most pressing needs in our culture today is for fathers. He is the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Now over the years, we've taught quite a bit on the doctrine of grace. And what a lot of that teaches is that we have been forgiven, we have been cleansed, that we are now acceptable to God. That we now have free access to him because of what Jesus did on the cross. It teaches us that we're not under condemnation and that we're not under a weight of guilt. It gives us the confidence to draw near. And equally, we've taught about our identity. About the fact that we are sons of God. That we are like royalty, like priests before him. That we are in a place of honour. And it's important for us that we know who we are, not just whose we are. In this verse, Jesus doesn't just promise to change us. He promises to make a way for us. He promises to make a way for us and change us so that we can be introduced to the Father. And that's where our image of God starts to become so important. It's one thing to know that you have access, to know that you're a son, to know that you have the entitlement because you have the righteousness of Christ. But if for some reason you don't want to go there, you don't want to go to the Father because you're fearful when you have a problem, then you're missing out on something. You're missing out on the intimacy that encounters with God would be giving you. Jesus came to make a way and to introduce us to the Father. He made sure that everything else that would inhibit that was done. 
Our sins were forgiven. We are wearing his righteousness. But we still have to actually enter into God's presence. If we don't, we're missing out. He made an incredible sacrifice to make it possible. That's what he modelled. And he came to bring us the same intimacy with the Father that he has. But if on the other hand, your picture of God is mean and critical and always on your case, then that's going to be a barrier. It's where we need to examine the image of God that we have in our heads. And if it doesn't line up with what God is really like, we need to adjust our thinking. God is not made in our image. We are made in his. But because sometimes we spend a lot of time teaching on subjects like justification, sanctification and righteousness, we teach on the fact that there's no condemnation, and perhaps if we're particularly keen, we might even teach on a subject like penal substitution. We can start to paint an image of God as a judge rather than as a father. Now he is a judge, but that was what, not what Jesus came to reveal to us. He came to show us God as a father. We need to spend more time looking at God as the father who adopted us and brought us into his family rather than as the judge who let us off. Do you think that every time you're with him, he's going to tell you what's wrong with you? Because that will make you stay at arm's length. You're listening to the wrong God. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Now this is where we get into the warfare. There is a lot of warfare being waged on this situation. But it's going on in our heads. We end up with wrong thoughts. Wrong thoughts about guilt. About self-condemnation. We start to believe lies. And then we get into wrong thinking. And it all goes on inside our heads. Because what the devil is all about is he's trying to lure us away from our simple, pure devotion to Jesus. His ambition is to be God. And so one of the things he does is he pretends to be God. That's why that scripture we read says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because the devil has a lot of Christians believing that God is mean, God is judging, God is critical, God is religious, God is complaining, God is distant, and he's holding out on us. Is that what you think? The trouble is, we're built with something like a spam filter. We don't even realise it. But we have in us a set of thoughts that help us filter out and ignore the comments that we would find unhelpful. But if it is set up wrong, it dumps the wrong messages. 
so when we hear God say, I love you, it puts it in the bin. When the Spirit whispers, you are righteous, goes in the bin. But then when the devil says, you're condemned, you don't matter to anyone. Guess what? It seems to get through. We hear it, and we start to believe it. And if that is happening to you, you need to reset your spam filter. Because you're hearing the wrong things. That's what this verse is talking about. About destroying every argument that is contrary to what God is saying. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ. The way to correct it is to get to know God better. To learn to distinguish his voice and discern it from the others. Our God is a good God. He loves us. He says loving things about us all the time. He does lovingly bring correction. But he never brings condemnation. Make sure you're listening to the right voice. We need to align our thinking to what God says about us. So what is heaven? It's an area in God's immediate presence. Now we know what the kingdom is like. Because the Bible teaches us the kingdom of God is righteousness. It teaches us that it's a place where there is no sin. A place full of peace. It goes on that there's justice, that there's compassion, that there's mercy. And then the atmosphere around God is depressed. Because everyone is just fed up about how badly they're doing as Christians. Well... Here we are in your presence, Lord. (sighs) But I didn't read my Bible this week. I didn't witness to anyone. I didn't serve. I didn't fast or even pray very much. You know, I'm just rubbish, really. But I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. and (sighs) We are at peace because we are at peace with you. And we're righteous because I suppose I didn't sin that much. Hallelujah. No. In God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And what does God think about when he sees you? Every day he declares his love for you. He believes in you all the time. He's always for you, even when we get it wrong. Because the Bible says his love never fails. Jesus leads us to the Father because he tells us who we really are. He tells us what we're really like. And his essential nature is love. He loves us. He heals us. He meets our needs. He speaks promises over us. And he does that every day. He looks down on us just like he looked upon Jesus 
when he said, this is my son and I am well pleased. And those are the kind of things that we should be hearing from the Father's voice when we want to spend time with him. We need to embrace that Father heart of God, not believe the rubbish that is thrown at us by the world and the devil. So now, having set the context, let's come back to that verse we started with. Isn't it interesting how everyone you ask about it comes back with something negative? Let's love someone and then tell them something really hard. But it's because that's what we think God is doing to us all the time. We put that connotation on the verse as we read it. We see it through that worldview, but it's not what the scripture means. God speaks the truth to you in love every day. He tells you that you are a son, that you are well-pleasing to you. He tells you that he has plans for you and that they will do you good. He tells you that you will be with him forever, ruling and reigning over life. He tells you that he will celebrate with you, he will walk with you, he will share with you just like he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Because what he wants is a relationship with you. He speaks life and health and encouragement to us. He speaks love and tenderness and affection. He speaks plans and purposes over our lives all the time in love. He speaks truth to us in love. Now let's look at the scripture. This is Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says... When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul starts out by urging the church to be walking in a manner worthy of their calling. He encourages them to be bearing with one another in order to promote unity. He emphasises that by talking about one God, one spirit, one faith, the things we all hold in common. And then he goes on to explain about the gifts and ministries that Christ has given to the church and how they are to build the church up and bring us to maturity so that we don't get tossed around. And then it is in that context, he says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. In other words, instead of being thrown around by those things, by speaking the truth to each other, we're to grow up into Christ. Because it's Christ that holds the whole body together, growing it and building it up. In other words, the words of truth that God speaks over us, we need to be speaking out to one another to equip, to build, to show our love and our affection, to encourage and to comfort one another. Now there are times when we need to admonish one another, but that isn't what this scripture is talking about. The whole context of this scripture is about building one another up. A week or two back, Bob and I spent an evening praying with someone. Doing exactly that. Speaking the truth into them. Helping them deal with lies that had crept in over the years. Helping them deal with the pain that had resulted. And helping them focus on the truth. And it's a great privilege to do that for them. We were speaking the truth to them in love. So what does it mean? It means when you've had a bad week and you're feeling down, I don't walk up to you and say, you've had a bad week. That's because you're doing rubbish. It means you need to fast harder. It means you need to pray longer. Because you just aren't any good, are you? In love. What it means, because that's wrong, In case you weren't clear on that, no. Okay? What it means is, look, it may have been a hard week, but listen, you have the Spirit of God in you. I know you're frightened by what is going on, but the Bible says that you have not been given a spirit of timidity. You've been given a spirit of power and love. And I know you feel like a slave to what's going on around you, But we haven't received that kind of spirit. The Bible doesn't say we've had a spirit of slavery. It says we have a spirit of adoption of sons of God. 
God has great promises for you. Do you remember those promises? Do you remember the dreams he's given you? Do you remember the future that he's spoken to you about? Remember who you are. Remember who God has made you. And as you do that, the troubles of the week fade into context. Because individually and together as a church, God has a great calling for us. That's the truth. All the other stuff is lies. Listen to the truth. He loves you. I just want to ask you this morning. Which set of voices are you hearing? Do you need to get your spam filter reset? When did you last hear those words of truth spoken to you? You know, if you know you're living under the wrong voices, let's pray for you this morning. If you know that the words of God are not penetrating, let's pray for you. If you've lost sight of your future and your destiny in God, let's pray for you. Let's be a people where the truth dominates. And let's start that this morning. And you know, if you happen to be here and you don't have a relationship with the Father, then Jesus is the way. And that can change this morning. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 